0: This story happened long, long ago in a small town in Poland. There was a nice little family with two brothers, Chaim and Moshe. Now, Chaim, the older brother, was wonderful. He was an outstanding student, top of the class, behaved beautifully. Everyone loved Chaim. Chaim everyone said, would be somebody great one day. Teachers would be so excited when he would walk in the room because they knew that they had a student who would participate in the learning. But Moshe, his younger brother, was very different. He made trouble. He was somebody the teachers were frightened of. He always brought with him to school an extra bottle of crazy glue. Sometimes he would attach the teacher. He would put some crazy glue on the teacher's seat. At the end of the day, they would see the teacher walking home with his chair attached to his back. He would put water, buckets of water on top of the doors. so when the teacher opened the door, the buckets would come falling on the, on the teacher's head. And as Moshe got older, he became more and more difficult in school. Teachers were frightened. His parents were afraid what would become of him when he grows up. And he just couldn't help it. He said, I'm supposed to be bad. I'm not like my brother Chaim. Chaim's good. Everyone keeps telling me how I'm a disappointment to them. And I guess I will grow up to be a disappointment to them. I want to be a thief when I grow up. I want to be bad. Now, as the years passed, he's already in fourth or fifth grade. He started stealing from his friends. When somebody brought in a gift, at the end of the day, the gift was gone. Hanukkah came around and his parents said, you know, we're not going to be giving you a present this year unless you improve in school. You don't need our presents. You've been taking things away from everybody else already. And that got him really, really upset. He's like, why am I not entitled to a present? And the first day of Hanukkah, this boy brought his gift. It was a really, really, really cool, exciting gift. It was a pen, and you press a button, and out comes a little blade, a little knife. So it looks like a pen, but it's also a knife. And he said, wow, I want that. I want to be able to sneak knives into places. I can't believe my parents didn't buy that for me. So Moshe, at recess, went to the boy's backpack. He stole the pen knife, and he put it into his back into his shirt on the inside of his undershirt so nobody would see that he had it. The boy comes back from recess. He's like, hey, where's my pen? Who took it? And Moshe's like, why are you looking at me? I never steal. You never call me. And he he said, everybody knows you steal. I'm going to tell your mom. And the boy on the way home from school stopped at Moshe's house and told his mom about it. When Moshe comes home, his mother says, please return the pen knife. He's like, what pen knife? I don't have it. He emptied out his pockets and proved that he didn't have it. His mom said, I am really upset. I don't know what's going on, but you're even stealing from your friends. You have to stop that. And he felt really, really bad about himself. And he's like, he's like, yeah. And he thought to himself he would like to stop, but he didn't know how to stop. It was too hard. And he went to his room to cry. And he cried and cried and cried until he fell asleep. And he woke up and he cried a little more. And he said, I kind of want to change, but you know what? No, I'm never gonna make these people happy. I'm never gonna be good. Maybe if I hang around bad people, maybe they'll be proud of me and I'll have a better life. And he decides that his only solution is to run away and go live his dream of being a thief and being a villain. So that he decides that he's, instead of going to school the next morning, He's gonna to go to the train station and buy a ticket and go somewhere very, very far away. Moshe packs his bag, his backpack, and under his books, he puts a tzedakah box that he stole so he can have some money for his journey. He throws in a sandwich, and he quickly tiptoes back to his room so his mom should not know that he's up to something. He can't sleep the rest of the night. But he knows in the morning he's going to say goodbye to his mother, goodbye to the good Chaim that he can't be like, goodbye to his father, and disappear. And they'll never see him again. And he's going to make a new life for himself as a runaway. So his mother makes him breakfast, says goodbye to him, and says, please, my son, please behave yourself in school today. And he says, don't worry, Mom, everything will be fine. And he knew, or he thought, that that would be the last time he sees his mother ever again. She says goodbye. He starts walking towards school. And instead of going to school, he turns, when he's far enough away from his mother, and runs as quickly as he can, can to the train station. He goes to buy a ticket. He stands in line to buy a ticket. And the ticket seller says, uh, Excuse me, um, where do you want a ticket to? And he says, Um, um... And he didn't even know where. He knew he wanted to go far away. And she looks at him and says, Hey, kid, do you have permission to go on this trip? Where are your parents? He's like, my parents, I don't have parents. I'm an orphan. And he starts to let out some fake tears. And she says, oh, sweetie, don't worry. Oh, you must be visiting your grandma. That's okay. That's okay. He's like, yeah, my grandma lives. And he looks up at the sign. It says the train to Krakow is leaving in 12 minutes. So he says, oh, yeah, my grandma lives in Krakow. I need a ticket to Krakow. And he hands her some money. She gives him a ticket and says, oh, you poor boy, please take care of yourself. And he knows he sure will, because now he's all alone. He doesn't have people to tell him what to do. No teachers, no parents. And he's really excited about this runaway. A little nervous, but really excited. So he gets on the train. The train leaves the station, a few hours pass. He turns to the person next to him and says, What's going on? How long is this trip? They said, "What do you mean how long is the trip?" It's about going to be 24 hours till we get to Krakow. It's a 28-hour ride, um, train ride. He's like, "Oh." He didn't realize that it's so far away, Krakow. He got hungry, he took out a sandwich. He ate a sandwich. And then he realized he had no more food left for the next 20 hours. He's going to be hungry. And as time passes on the train ride, he starts to regret his actions. He's like, oh no, why did I do this? Was this a good idea? I'm going somewhere really far away. I've never been to Krakow. I've never been out of my village, my town. And he starts to cry from fear. And there's an old lady sitting next to him and she says, oh, little boy, why are you crying? Is everything okay? And he says, oh, yeah, yeah. She says, oh, take an apple, please. Enjoy. You must be missing your grandma. You know, I have a grandson just like you. And he says, yeah, yeah, I'll be okay. Many hours pass. Eventually he gets to Krakow. When he walks out to the train station, he sees excitement. He's never seen so many people. His little village, there was three or four people at the train station. Here there were thousands and thousands. There were people with flowers. Greeting their, their, their relatives who were coming to visit them. There was lots of people hugging and rejoicing. And he was just frightened. He had no idea where to go. He was afraid to leave the station. He's never seen the buildings. He can see through the window, these skies, these ginormous buildings. He sits down in the train station, sits down on the bench. And he gets really scared. He says, you know, maybe this was all a mistake. I'm going to go back home. And then he looks into the tzedakah box of the money he stole. It wasn't enough money to go back home. So he realized he's going to have to stay. But what will I do? And he sits down on the bench. He puts his head down and he starts to cry. And he falls asleep in the train station. A few hours pass. Train station's deserted. There's nobody there. He feels a tap on his shoulder. It's like, wait, wait, where am I? And he looks up, and he sees this big, 300-pound, 7-foot man <laughs> tapping him on the shoulder, saying, what are you doing in my station, kid? And he says, uh, um, I, I'm sitting here. You sitting here in the middle of the night? Where is your parents? He says, "Um, I ran away. I don't know. I, I, I guess I should go back home. You ran away? How old are you, kid? I'm 11. Ha, 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 ha. When I was nine, I ran away. Ha, ha, a boy I like. Tell me more about yourself. What do you want to be when you grow up? And the Moshe says, Um, I don't know. I want to be like you. Ha, ha, like me. My name is Evil Ivan. You want to be like me? Evil, right? He says, well, I don't want to be like my brother, Chaim. He's good. And everyone says that I'm a failure because I'm not like him. Good. You're going to work for me. But listen closely. You're going to make a lot of money. But there are people who are going to get hurt along the way. You have to be ready for it. He's like, um, can I stay with you? You don't need to stay with me. I'm going to get you. An amazing place to stay. But first, come with me. Let's talk business. I was looking for a kid for a long time. And he takes the boy, takes him to a restaurant. It's a five-star restaurant. He looks at the menu. Every dish is hundreds of dollars. He's like, I'm sorry, Evil Ivan. I can't afford I don't have any money. Don't worry. Evil Ivan doesn't pay for food. If they charge me, I burn down the restaurant. I'm famous in this town. Nobody messes with me. Everything is free for me, and now it's gonna be free for you, kid, because you're gonna be my assistant. And now he wasn't sure, Moshe wasn't sure, is this the right move? And he looks at the menu again and he says, oh, this isn't kosher. I can't eat her. And, And evil Ivan says, what? You said this isn't kosher? Who cares? We eat what we want to eat. You know, I was Jewish too once upon a time. And he says, okay, fine. I'm going to eat whatever you eat, Evil Ivan. You're my hero. And they order everything on the menu. And he's feeling pretty comfortable with Evil Ivan. He found a guy who could really help him out. Ivan says, listen, you're going to make a million dollars before you're 12. But you have to be able to follow my plan. Are you ready to follow the plan? Moshe's like, of course, yes. Tell me what's the plan. Okay, this is the plan. Tomorrow morning, you're going to go to the richest man in town's house. You're going to knock on the door and ask for a job. Now, of course, he might not want to give you a job. So you're going to say you're an orphan and you need a place to live. Tell them you clean bathrooms, toilets, stables, and anything he wants. And what you need to do is you need to get this rich man to like you and trust you. And maybe in a few months, he'll actually give you the keys to his mansion. Once you get those keys, you're going to be able to open up the doors for us in the middle of the night. We know that when he comes back from business trips, he has millions of dollars in his safe. But there's no way to get into his mansion because there's a fortress. The walls around them cannot be broken. The only way to get in is by you getting us the keys. You're gonna open up the gate for us. We're gonna go in and we're gonna rob him. If we have to kill him or we'll kill him. And you are going to make it happen. So we're gonna split it 50-50. You get 50%. You might get a million, maybe two or three mil before you're 12 years old. He said, okay, fine. I'll do it, I guess. The next morning, he goes to the rich man's house, knocks on the door and says, um, hi, can I have a job? And the woman who opens the door says, go away, we don't want beggars here. We don't need anybody to work for us. We have, and then the rich man hears his maid sending away the boy and he says, hey, why are you sending the boy away? You keep complaining that you don't have enough time to do all the cleaning in the house. Why don't you hire him? So she says, okay, I'll hire you, kid, if you're ready to clean the bathrooms, clean the stables. He's like, oh, I love cleaning bathrooms. I'll do anything to work for you. So he gets the job. He works really, really hard. He impresses the rich man. The rich man sometimes would leave like a 20 or some some gold out to see if he could trust him. And every time, Moshe returned the money, because of course... He wanted the rich man to think that he's honest and he's a good kid. The the months have passed and he says, you know what? The rich man says to Moshe, I've had many people working for me. Nobody has been as honest as you. I want you to be in charge every night to lock the gates. You must double check because when I come back from trips, I have a lot of money in my safe. I don't want anybody breaking in and I know I could trust you. I've seen you so many times. Return the money you found around around my mansion. And Moshe says, oh, of course, of course. And he hands him the keys. As soon as he had a few minutes, a few minute break, Moshe runs to evil Ivan and tells him, Ivan, I got the keys. Ivan says, okay, tonight at midnight, we are going to come, me and five men, fully armed with weapons. We're going to come in. Through the open door. You're going to open the door at 11:58. You go back in your room, hide up, stay in your room. We don't need you for the fighting because we got that under control. We're going to go in. If we have to kill him, we'll kill the rich man. We'll steal his money and then we're going to meet you outside where we're going to split it and you're going to get your million, hopefully. Now, you must open that door on time. Nobody ever disappoints Ivan. He said, oh, of course, of course. I've been dreaming about this for a long time. But he felt really bad because this rich man was really nice. He became like a father to him. He was hoping that he wouldn't get hurt in the process. But he remembered that people told him that he's bad. And he wanted to live up to that expectation of being bad. So that night at midnight at 11... 11 o'clock, everyone already went to sleep. It was quiet in the house. He made believe like he was going to sleep. The doors were all locked. He checked to make sure they were locked. But he knew he had to wake up to unlock the doors. He started regretting it. Maybe I shouldn't do it. What if I get caught? What if something happens? Should I do it? And then he realized this whole thing was a big mistake. He really should just go back home and forget it and This lifestyle is not so easy. But he doesn't change. He decides to stay. And at 11.57, he gets out of bed very quietly, goes to the gate, and very quietly unlocks the gate. Goes back to his room. But on the way, he trips. And he falls, and he makes a little bit of a sound. He's hoping nobody heard him. Then he heard the rich man speaking to his wife saying, I don't feel good about this. I feel like something might go wrong. And he hears them saying that. He wants to go back to the gate to tell them, don't come in. He's, he might be, he's not sleeping, but he's too scared. He's frightened. He doesn't, he's shocked. He goes to his room. He covers himself under the covers. And he hears the rich man saying, Honey, I'm going to open up the safe and take out my weapon. I want to make sure. I want to have my gun ready in case somebody is breaking in. And the door, they come through the gate. They walk in quietly. They kick in the bedroom door of the rich man. They don't realize that behind the door, on the side, he's standing there with a loaded gun. He shoots evil Ivan. Kills him first, kills his men. There's some shooting from the men, but he, the rich man, manages to fight off all the invaders. They call the police. They're screaming all over the house. There's chaos. The servants, the maid, everyone's there, and Moshe was frightened. He was in bed, shivering, so scared of what will happen. Oh no! What if they ca- they find out that it was me who was involved? The police come and they say, they asked the rich man, who was totally shaken and frightened, how do you think these people got in? He said, I don't know, the, the, the lock isn't broken. But what I do know is I gave Moshe the key this morning. They barge into Moshe's room. He's hiding and shivering under his covers, frightened. And they see he has the keys in his hand. They arrest him. You are under arrest. And they throw him in jail and he has a very long sentence. He spends many, many years in jail. Changes his name from Moshe to Maurice. And he, as far as he knows, he's gonna be in jail for the rest of his life. One day, his jailmates tell him, you know what, we need to find a way to get out of this jail. Let's do a jailbreak. He's in jail for many years. And they said, There's nothing to lose. Let's try to break out. So the plan was as follows Middle of the night, they're going to make believe like one of them is choking. Now everyone else is going to make believe like they're sleeping. So the guards are going to think that it's safe to go into the cell. They're going to come in to try to save the, the one who was choking and we're all going to then get up and jump the guards take their weapons take their outfits we're going to dress up like like the guards go 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 down the, the 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 hallway find more guards they they won't be they won't realize that we are the prisoners dressed up like guards capture those guards and keep going until we have enough enough prisoner outfit, enough guard outfits that we can break out of the prison now they said i we think We think it should be you, Maurice, Moshe. You're going to be the one who's going to fall on the ground and make believe like you're choking. You're the youngest. They're not going to suspect you that you're planning something, some sort of escape. You're going to be the one to do it. He was really nervous because the last time he was involved, it didn't turn out so good. But things couldn't get worse. He was in jail already for 10 years. He'd be there for many more years. So he, that night, everyone... Made believe like they were sleeping. He started choking. The guards quickly opened the door and said, Hey, Maurice, we want to help you. And the two guards were jumped, tied up. The clothing were taken off. They dressed up like the... Two of the guys dressed up like the guards. Took their weapons. Went, went down the hallway. clubbed, to, Took their clubs. Beat the two sleeping guards over the head. They were unconscious. Took their... And eventually they had enough... Outfits from guards and they were able to escape and they went out right out the front door and they escaped into the woods There were teams searching for them For many weeks, where they found a cave to hide in and they waited. They only went out at night And then after a few weeks, they needed more food They started robbing wagons Travelers who were going through the forest and they would rob everything that they had And they were making some money And he was enjoying this new lifestyle. But the problem was, word spread that the roads were very dangerous, that there were robbers. So people started avoiding the roads near their cave. They had to find a new way to make money. So by this time, the search ended. Nobody was looking for them. So they dressed up like businessmen, like important businessmen. And they wore suits and ties, and they would go into the city during the day, into the fancy hotels. And they would talk to the businessmen saying, hey, um, I heard the roads are dangerous. What's your plan? And the rich men would say, the businessmen would say, oh yeah, those roads, we're so afraid of these robbers. We're going to take Route 22. That's the best route to go on. I'm actually going to be going at 2 a.m. And I don't even need a guard because I hide the money inside the wagon under the panels. And they would hear that and then be waiting at Route 22. They knew exactly who they needed to rob. They knew where the money was. And then they would rob these people that they spoke to in the hotels. And things were going pretty well. A few years passed. And one day, they're sitting in a hotel and they hear everybody talking about, did you hear? Did you hear? The Polish lottery. Somebody won a billion dollars in the Polish lottery. A Jewish guy won. And they start talking about this guy who won the lottery? He gave 30% of his money to charity, to tzedakah. He, um, he helps the poor. He built this mansion. And as part of the mansion, he has many, many, maybe like 20 bedrooms for guests. Anybody who's poor, who needs a place to stay for Shabbat, they could stay with him. And he, boy, he's so kind. He takes care of them. And the robbers were hearing about it. And they're like, wow, we got to rob him. He has millions. So they turned to Maurice and they said, Maurice, you're Jewish, right? He's like, I guess so. Uh, it's been, uh, since I've been 11, I didn't really do anything that makes me Jew. I, I don't know anything about being Jewish other than I can read a little bit of Hebrew and wear a yarmulke. I said, okay, yeah, you're going to get yourself a kippah, a yarmulke. You're going to go be invited for Shabbat at this family. And we're going to be waiting for you. In the middle of the night. You're going to open up the window near your room. So that we could come in through that window. Come in with our weapons. If we have to kill people, we'll kill people. And we'll, we'll rob this man's wealth. And of course. Moshe was not very excited about it. Unfortunately, the last time. He he was trying to help his friends. Help Ivan. It didn't turn out well. But he's. But he didn't want to disappoint his friends, so he said, okay, I'll do it. He buys a keeper, He goes to the house on Friday, knocks on the door. And the man who won the lottery opens the door and says, welcome to my home. Are you going to stay with me for Shabbat? And he's like, oh, of course I will. Of course I will. And the man was so kind. He was doing everything he can to make Moshe feel comfortable. He said, listen. If you want anything, if you need anything, come to the kitchen. I want to give you some food. We're going to start, uh, we're going to go to shul in about an hour. Here's your room. He gave him the nicest bedroom, the guest room. And Moshe felt terrible. He's like, oh no. Oh no, this guy's actually nice. And he might die tonight because of me. But he said, business is business. I'm a villain. I'm a thief. I got to do what I got to do. And it was time for candlelighting. And he saw this older woman, must have been the mother of the guy who won the lottery, the rich man. She was lighting her Shabbat candles. And as she was lighting the candles, she was crying. Tears were dripping down her face. And he said, oh, wow, I wonder if that's what my mother does every week. If she cries when she lights Shabbos candles, maybe she cries about me running away and not seeing me ever again. He went to shul. He forgot even how to how to hold his sitter. He was holding it upside down. When somebody came up to him and said, "Um, "Hey, are you okay?" He's like, "Oh no, no, no! Uh, I don't have my glasses. I can barely see the letters. Uh, I guess. Oh yeah, sometimes I do that. I hold it upside down because I can't. I have to say it by heart, anyways. I didn't get caught. So after tefillah, after Mariv, he comes back home. They make kiddush, and he meets the family. He meets the, sees the mother again, and she reminds him so much of his mother. And after Kiddush, the man say, says, his name was Chaim. He says, I am saying ala Chaim in honor of my dear brother Moshe, who disappeared over 20 years ago. We miss him, we love him, and we want him back. Moshe hears that. His heart falls, sinks. He's like, oh no. This is my family. This is my brother Chaim. This is his wife, his beautiful children. And look at me. I'm here to possibly cause their death tonight. I don't know what to do. What am I going to do about it? And he wants to tell them, I am your brother. I am Moshe. But he knows he can't because then his friends, they might take revenge on him. Who knows what they'll do? He's so scared. What should I do? What should I do? And as the meal progresses, they're serving the fish he can barely eat because he's so nervous. Chaim turns to his son and says, hey, Moshe, stop staring at him. And he's like, whoa! whoa, whoa." wait, wait. Does he... Does he know who I am? And he realizes it's the boy's name. The boy's name is Moshe. He named his own son, Moshe, to remember his lost brother. And as the meal continues, they keep saying, Why don't you eat something? The food's delicious. He's too nervous to even take a bite. The meal is over. And his brother Chaim sits down to learn Dafio, to learn the Daf, and he's learning. And he tells Moshe, come, join me. And he sits with him for a few minutes. And he wants to tell him, he really wants to tell him, I, I don't know what to do. You're about to die. Something bad's going to happen to you. you have to, we have to stop. But he's too scared to say it. He's frozen. He goes to his, bed, his room, looks at the clock. It's 11.30. In 30 minutes, they're going to come to the window. And he better open it for them. Because if not, they're going to... They might kill him. But if he does, his own family's going to be killed. What should he do? And he's, t- he, he's lying in bed, tossing and turning and shaking and shivering and hyperventilating and so scared. And every minute when he looks at the clock, it feels like it's an hour. And it's 11.58. And he's like, I have to open it for them or else they'll kill me. But then he says, but I can't. My family's more important. And it's 11.59. And he decides, I'm not opening it for them. I'm not going to let my family suffer because of me. I need to tell them, but he cannot. He's frozen in his bed. He can't leave. And then at 11:59 and 59 seconds, he hears footsteps coming from outside the window. But he says, "I'm not opening it. I don't care." And then a big rock, ginormous rock, comes through the window. The glass shatters, and he hears his friend saying, "You betrayed us." And you will pay for it. And then he feels a stab in his back. And blood dripping down his back. And he screams on the top of his lungs. "Ah!" Hoping that his family will hear him. And he opens up his eyes. And he looks around and he sees his mom. And he sees his brother. And he sees himself. He's only 10 years old. He's only 11 years old. And he realized he had a nightmare. He just woke up from a nightmare. And he's still 11 years old. And he didn't become a villain, didn't run away. His mother and his brother, that's his family. But he did realize this may have become my life. And if, if I didn't have this nightmare, and he feels for his back, and he feels a little bit of blood on his black, back. He's like, but I, did, I have blood on my back. And he, then he feels the penknife that was in his shirt, and in the his, inside his under his undershirt. And from all his tossing and turning and screaming in his nightmare, the button was pressed and it stabbed him in the back. And his mother said, you've been screaming for a very long time. You, we were all frightened. We tried waking you up, but you were deep in this nightmare. A doctor came to check him out. They said he needs to rest for a few days. And after all that rest, he got his energy back and he went back to school. A new kid. He stopped terrorizing the teachers, stopped stealing from his friends. And he said, I already know what would have happened to me if I would keep on that path. I want to be a good, a good kid and a good person. And... Everyone lived happily ever after, and he didn't have to live that nightmare in real life.